0: Fasten your seatbelts and turn up your radio. We're going on a road trip. For many in Wisconsin, winter has long been a point of pride. It's a region where people boast of surviving temperatures below zero, battling sharp winds that chill us to the bone and digging out from blizzards that dump a foot or more of snow on our roads and doorsteps. If you live in Wisconsin, you will at least once in your life be lying on your stomach in the snow, trying to dig out your car with a shovel, a spade or a spoon or anything else that's at your disposal, probably at the end of your driveway after the plow comes through. Am I right? Well, let's be real here. It gets cold in Wisconsin, and even the mildest winters can take newcomers by surprise. It's important to know what to expect. Welcome to Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward. Today we explore the world of winter weather forecasting, separating fact from fiction and answering your questions about what to expect in the months ahead. You can join in this conversation today by calling 800-780-9742 or email ideas at WPR.org. Joining us today is WSAW-TV meteorologist Chad Franzen, who is an expert at forecasting the quickly changing weather of Wisconsin. Chad has a master's degree in meteorology from Mississippi State University. He received his American Meteorological Society seal in 1999, has a Doppler radar certification, and also earned the American Meteorology – I can't say that. It's hard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. AMS. Yeah. The AMS certified broadcast meteorologist – designation. I said it right that time. There you go. That is a professional recognition of the quality of his weather broadcasts, and we are so excited he's here today. Chad, welcome back to Route 51.
1: Happy to be with you. Happy to be in the studio and get to
0: see you for the first time in a long time. I, it has been a long time since we've seen each other. We, we had a show together about six months ago talking yep. about summer weather, but we weren't in the studio together, so it's really cool that we're finally feels like we're finally getting back to normal, right?
1: It does. In every capacity and regard, especially as we went through this last summer, you just see the the higher spirits of people getting out and about and doing a bunch of things that maybe in the last two or three years they didn't get a chance to.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the weather. Winter doesn't actually start until December 21st, which always seems weird to me. Because by then, of course, in Wisconsin, we've had many weeks of cold weather, often quite a bit of snow. So why is that the date? that winter actually begins when Wisconsin winter weather Clearly starts much earlier.
1: Well, you know, it, it's all about how the Earth rotates around the uh, the, the whole universe, and, and the Earth rotating around the Sun, and when we're tilted on the axis, when we're tilted in and tilted away. Uh, but there is a part of the weather community that calls it the meteorological winter, which technically starts December first. We started that yesterday, and then that goes for December, January, and February. Those are the coldest months on average. So there is a meteorological versus a um, let's say a climatological part of what is winter versus another. And it all has to do with how it was defined way back when saying that on this winter equinox, that was going to be the definition of winter beginning. That's the shortest day length of daylight in the year. Now for us in Wisconsin, you know, meteorological winter probably makes a little more sense because we do typically see a little snowfall in November and especially December. And for us to say, well, December 21st is winter, we've already had a month or maybe even two months of some winter-type weather. And so it really depends on how you want to look at it, but it's all really based on how the Earth's tilting back and forth. You know, we're entering into winter on December 21st, and the southern hemisphere is entering into their full start of summer on that same very day. That's interesting.
0: Uh, so, uh, yeah, and here we are. Uh, we've already had some snow. It's already been pretty cold. It's going to get pretty cold this this uh, weekend, from what I understand. And yeah, and winter hasn't even started. But that's that's good to know why. Oh yeah. Well, let's talk about snow a little bit. Um, how are snowflakes actually formed? What's the what's the science behind well, that?
1: Well, in the in the weather community, science community, you talk about aerosols in the air. And you have the moisture droplets that are going to form on these aerosols. And that can be anything from salt particles coming in from the ocean. These aerosols are very light. They get suspended in the air. And then it depends on your temperature whether you get a raindrop to form on these aerosols or if you get it when it's below 32 degrees in most cases, you get snowflakes and dendrites to form. And then you get a chemical process as they form on these aerosols into these different snowflakes. In that chemical process of how this grows is all really kind of dependent on the temperatures. How cold is it versus how close to freezing is it? And that's why you have all the different varieties of snowflakes. There are so many types of snowflakes that I can't even give you even 10 of the probably four or 500 that there are uh, because of the dendritic growth and how they grow because of certain weather conditions around them. So at the end of the day, it's particles suspended in the air. And then you have moisture droplets that start forming and freezing on contact, that gets you to the snowflake.
0: All right, how much water is produces the snowfall? Uh, is it a lot less than rain?
1: Yeah, I mean, typically, so the, the, the old the old adage is 10 to 1 ratio. One inch of rain is 10 inches of snow. But that is always uh, an ideal world. That would assume that you have the constant temperature during the entire event, and the entire event is all liquid, and the temperature never changes. Well, we know that doesn't really happen all that much. Uh, so we have, that's what part of the forecasting is. If we have an Alberta clipper type system with 20 degree below Uh, temperatures and the snowflakes come in our ratio then could be 20 or 30 to 1 which means one inch of snow at minus 20 would net us 30 inches of snow it's a very dry snow Hmm. we get the flip on the other side when it's 32 33 34 degrees and snow is falling that snow to water ratio could be like 5 to 1 and therefore one inch of rain liquid would equal five inches of snow because it's a heavy wet compacted type snowfall Uh, So most people ballpark 10 to 1, but when we go to forecast for storms, especially these long-duration storms that come in, similar to what we had happen uh, late last week uh, where we had snow, or just a couple days ago, snow in northwestern Wisconsin, we were in the warm sector in the rain. We watched those trends knowing where that snow band is going to set up, and in this case, it was mostly Vilas, Iron, Ashland, and Price counties where it got the heavier snow, and we see mostly rain in central Wisconsin. Yeah, that's true. What what about the
0: size of snowflakes? Uh, they seem to vary so much, you know, these tiny little ones and then these big What's the average size, though?
1: Boy, I, you know, that, that's a tough one because every little part of the dendritic growth is really dependent on the conditions that those flakes are going through at that time. Uh, and keep in mind, the snowflake may start up at 10,000 feet in the air, let's say. As it comes down through the atmosphere, nothing says that the temperatures are not changing between the cloud base and the ground. And so that's why those snowflakes sometimes can get a little melting if we're in a similar situation a couple of days ago, where we have overrunning, which is warm air above the surface. So, snowflakes falling from the clouds could melt a little bit or become sleet or go back to snow. So, it really, de- really depends on what the thermodynamic profile of the atmosphere is. How much of a temperature changes are from the ground to the cloud, and what's happening to that precipitation, or as I call pre slopitation particle, as kind of, kind of comes squiggling down through there. Pre <laughs> It encompasses so many things. <laughs>
0: Well, okay, I have to know one more thing about snowflakes before we move on. And they're, they're, they're six-sided, right? They're, yeah. They're, are they all six-sided?
1: Uh, you know, for the most part, they are. Some of them, uh, depending on how they they have developed, or just like anything else, if, if, if let's say, it's falling and it encounters a little bit of a warm air boundary, you may see some of that kind of dwindle away. Uh, but for the most part, that's how that prism in the dendrite grows.
0: All right. I said I was going to move on from snow, but I do have another question. I'm ready. Why does it look white? Because it's translucent, right?
1: Well, yeah, but that's the, so for the most part, now there are times you get dirt and snow and stuff like that, and then it's a different color. But the white part of it is because of the visible spectrum and where the light hits it and how it looks in in that spectrum of your colors, it is white because of, not only because it's translucent, but because also most of the time that aerosol is in some kind of a clear form. Um, there are times, it's been a while, but there are times there's brown snow, and that's when the aerosol and the snow is forming on dirt particles in the air, and that usually happens when we get systems coming out of the southwest, and those particles are basically developing on dust particles that have gotten into the atmosphere from the desert southwest, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Texas, and, and into western Oklahoma. So we can get some brown snow at times, but that's because of how it's formed on the, part of the aerosol is brown to begin with, and that's why it ends up being kind of a brown snow. Uh, Minnesota, and I'm not sure where it was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually had some brown snow fall. I think it was like Coon Rapids. Really? Yeah, so it, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but it does happen, and that's just because of where it forms and how that whole system moves forward.
0: How long does it take for a snowflake to get from the cloud down? Does it does it just vary on like wind speed or size of the flake? What's, what's hey, the, the physics
1: teacher in me would say or nine point eight meters per squared. Um, <laughs> way but too yes, complicated for me. But it, it does. I mean, think of it this way: whenever anything falls from the cloud, it's subjective to everything that's coming in underneath it. And there's always winds. It's always going to be a question of does it? it let's say, for instance. A snowflake drops out of the sky 10,000 feet in Wausau, Wisconsin, right over the top of our studio right now. Mm-hmm. By the time it gets to the ground, it's not going to be here. It's going to be wherever the prevailing wind has pushed it. Uh, so for most of our snowfalls, it's usually a west or a northwest wind. So it may take it from the studio, and by the time that thing hits the ground, it may be over by Bevent. Um, so that really is one of those things that really makes it hard to know how fast a snowflake is moving because of all the different wind speeds going on in that upper atmosphere.
0: When you're using radar, how, how
1: far away is the
0: snow when you're actually picking it up on radar? Like how far does it go? Is it possible that it's already snowing and you're not seeing it on radar? How does that yeah.
1: work? So Wisconsin, in, in central Wisconsin, we're inherently in this kind of bubble, this no man's land, if you will, because our closest radar sites are La Crosse, Green Bay, you've got one in Duluth, and you've got one in Milwaukee. By the time the radar beam leaves the radar tower, it is always on a tilt. So let's say, let's talk about Green Bay. Green Bay's radar tower is always on some kind of a minimal tilt. So it's always tilted just a little above the surface of the Earth. But keep in mind, unless you believe in flat Earth society, the Earth is curved. So by the time the beam leaves the radar site in Green Bay, when it gets to the Wausau, Wisconsin area, you're about nine to 10,000 feet in the sky. Snow at this time of year, especially stratiform-type snowfalls, that snow could be 6,000 feet or less. So there are times it's snowing outside, and you can go look at any radar you want, anybody's app you want, and it will not show up on there even though it's snowing outside. That is one of the hardest things for us to overcome as meteorologists, especially new coming into an area where there is this kind of hole in the radar beams. And it's not necessarily a hole. It's just that you're missing out on about the last 10,000 feet of information. You look at that from the summertime, and it's the exact same thing when it comes to tornadic signatures and hook echoes. Storms have updrafts and downdrafts, and they're very powerful in the summer. So usually we see some kind of a hook echo effect going on at 10,000 feet. But snow, stratiform-type snow, light snow, um, arctic front snows, that can all happen below the radar beam. So it could be snowing in Wausau, and the radar looks clear. And that's so that's a, that's a huge forecast challenge uh, for uh, – Wausau, Wisconsin is not the only place this happens. But in our area, it is a huge challenge for us in the winter. So that's why that happens. That's interesting. I, I always wondered why, hey,
0: why, is, why am I not seeing it on the radar yeah. now? Now I know. You used a word, though, that I don't know. Strati, strat strat stratiform what yeah. what does that
1: mean uh so cloud layers are all different types stratiform means everything's in a layer so then if you're going on a this is the best part okay. if you're going anytime on a plane trip and you remember this conversation okay when you go in and out of cloud decks mm-hmm. those are changing in stability classes and if they're all layered and you look across and you're going into one layer of clouds and you can see and it looks straight as narrow as you go into the cloud base mm-hmm. that's a stratiform type cloud And anytime you're in a plane, you go in and out of those, you're going to get a little bump because you're changing a stability class in the atmosphere. Uh, So I I can make it really fun for people when they fly with me, or I can make it really boring for them (laughs) saying, hey, get ready for a big bump. We're going through this stratiform cloud Mm -hmm. layer. Uh, And that's usually – unless we have a system from the southwest, which is one of those heavy snow producers, but for the most part, we're getting some kind of a stratiform or a a cumulative stratiform type event coming in from the northwest.
0: That's so interesting. I I fly a lot, and I'm not really a – Super great flyer. I'm still nervous, even though, no matter how many times I fly. And now I know why, what that means. Now you know to be prepared. It, yes, and and I don't have to be scared about it, right? Nope, not <laughs> at all. All right, very good. You're listening to Route 51. Our guest today is Chad Franzen from WSAW-TV. Coming up, we'll hear about wind chills, how blizzards form, we'll hear about lake effect snow, and we'll find out what ordinary people like us can do to predict winter weather. Join in the conversation by calling us, 800-780-9742. Your questions are welcome. You can also send an email to us at ideas at WPR.org. I'm Shereen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio we're back on route 51 i'm shereen seward chad franzen is here today for a discussion on winter weather forecasting just in time for snow season in Wisconsin. What would you like to know? You can email us at Route 51 at WPR.org or join us by phone at 800-780-9742. So I'm just a normal person who doesn't know anything really about A normal, wonderful person. <laughs> You're something else. Uh, well, So if I want to predict the weather, like what kind of observations will help me do that? Like, Am I looking for wind direction, cloud? Take me through it.
1: Yeah, you know, so depending on the time of year, summertime, usually our next systems come in from the southwest or the west, and they can come from the northwest. But most of the time in the wintertime, we're going to get some kind of a west-northwesterly system. And uh, one thing that you can always notice as storm systems approach is by looking at the cloud deck and seeing what the clouds look like when they first start streaming in, and then you'll watch those clouds get lower. So as a storm approaches or some kind of a storm system, Usually you see those high, thin, wispy cirrus clouds come streaming in, and that can usually happen 24 to 36 hours in advance of some type of storm system. And then if you're watching the cloud deck through that next 24 to 36 hours, clouds get thicker, they start getting lower to the ground, and that's usually the approach of some kind of a front. And most of the time in Wisconsin it's a cold front. Um, We sometimes can get a warm front, but usually it's a cold front coming through, and then that's going to generate some kind of precipitation. In the summertime, it's most of the time storms. In the wintertime, it's rain, sleet, or snow, depending on how warmer temperatures are out ahead of it. Uh, but cloud deck, watching that high-thin, wispy, cirrus start getting lower tells you there's a storm system approaching.
0: Is there typically a calm before the storm? I mean, is that is that a thing? Or uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like to refer to that a lot, um, mostly because of usually when the storm system comes through, You're going to get some wind with it and or some kind of rainfall and and snow and stuff like that. So case in point is the exact same thing happening tonight. So yesterday wasn't overly windy, kind of the calm before the storm. We're windy today out ahead of this cold front coming in tonight. And as that cold front approaches, the winds will pick up because we're having such a drastic change in temperatures. Today, 40s. Tomorrow, replaced by the upper teens, and that's what this cold front's doing. So when you have that kind of a clash of the air mass in the wintertime, you get a lot of wind, and they get a big change of temperatures behind it. And for us, because it looks like it will start off at about 35, 36, we may get a little rain sleet area first around 9 o'clock, and then it goes over to quick hitting snowfall of very little, maybe half inch, and then very cold behind it going into the weekend.
0: Does the color of the sunset really uh, hint at what's happening in the weather the next day? You know, there's those those old sayings
1: about, you know, red skies
0: yeah. at night, sailors' delight. The does, does that really tell you anything?
1: Uh, it, it'll just really de- be dependent on what kind of a storm system because that's all about how the rays of the sunlight are being reflu- uh, refracted. And so, you know, sunrises in the east, sunsets in the west – if the cloud deck's moving through at the right time, you're going to get the scattering of the rays. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to exactly happen. We had a little bit of a red sky last night going on, but today isn't anything big to worry about. Mm -hmm. Um, In the summertime, the the green sky is the one you worry about. Well, in this part of Wisconsin, we don't usually get a whole lot of green skies in the summertime before summer severe weather type systems. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those sayings that people use, um, and it's one that maybe at points does have some credence to it, but that isn't always 100% by any means. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for clearing that up for me. So, sure.
0: Tell me about wind chill and how it's calculated. I have friends in the South who have absolutely <laughs> no concept of what wind chill is and why it can feel colder than it actually is.
1: Well, yeah. You know, and, and I'll go back to, I think it was 2001 when the Weather Service changed how the wind chill worked. The wind chill used to be calculated at the top of uh, what was an anemometer and a pole, and that I believe was at 32 feet in the air. So unless you're uh, like double the size of Shaquille O'Neal or something, you're never going to be up in that part of the atmosphere. So the wind chill chart changed, and the calculation changed to get it closer to where people live. And so they changed it to the average person, which at, at that time and at this time today is six foot tall, which I still aspire to be as I grow older. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the wind chill is all based on what happens to the body when the wind comes through and gives you the cooling effect on the skin and how the body reacts to trying to keep you warm. That's why when we get into windy situations like tonight for the wassa holiday parade, we're encouraging people to wear layers. Temperature wise, it's going to be in the mid thirties, but it's going to be a little breezy. You get the mid twenties, but the layers, if you're wearing multiple layers, that breaks up that cooling effect from your skin because you don't have the skin releasing a lot of heat through just one layer. It's going through multiple layers, and you get kind of a thermal insulating blanket at that point.
0: Well, what's behind temperatures dropping so quickly so fast? I mean, uh, our producer, Joy, and I were talking about this earlier, how sometimes it's like you can have 60 degrees, and then the next day it's 10. I mean, how, why those wicked Quick changes like that.
1: Well, and you're going to see those more typically in the in when you're changing a season. Uh, so if you think back, uh, early November we had 60s and 70s, and it was like, wow, I would have loved to have this in October when it was kind of cold, you know. Right. Uh, but when you get into changing seasons, the Earth is resisting the change of these big temperature contrasts. So when things are changing and you start making the change into seasons, you get these wild and quick swings. And it doesn't just come through one day. Now, there's been times in the past that we'll have a cold front. We just get cold and that's how winter hits. But look at this winter. We've had snow. We've warmed up. It's usually the quick changes like that is because the earth is resisting the change. When you make that change in the final change, then you'll notice that you don't have those rapid warm-ups, the cool-downs for several months until we get around to spring. So case in point is, think back the last couple of weeks. We were cold in the middle of November, and then we got warm for three or four days. Then we got cold for three or four days. And now we're warm for a couple of days. Now we're cold for four or five days. So if you think on a, on a, on a seven-day weekly basis, we're warm now about two out of the seven. At some point when the earth makes that final shift and the winter weather pattern sets in, we'll pretty much be seven cold days out of seven. And that looks like it's going to happen here in the next 10 days. Boo. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen at some point.
0: I know. It's inevitable, right? Well, I'm weird about this, but I love hearing thunder with snow. There's just yeah. something kind of magical about that when you're laying in bed and you and you hear that. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, though, but what causes the thunder and, and
1: thunderstorm in particular? Oh, you know, it's a very dynamic event. We don't get it... All the time in Wisconsin, but we'd probably see it once or twice every couple of years. Uh, And it's usually going to be some kind of a system coming in from the southwest that is bringing in uh, deep gulf moisture. You've got a lot of upper-level wind support with it. And as it's tracking into Wisconsin, the temperature profile, usually at this point in the year, northwestern Wisconsin gets a little cold, and southeastern Wisconsin stays a little warmer. That's usually where the jet stream kind of sets up. So it could be thunderstorms from Milwaukee, But it could be temperatures in the upper 20s in Wausau. And because the temperature at the surface is in the upper 20s, but everything above it is in the 30s and 40s, you still get those dynamic type, what would be thunderstorms. It just becomes snow because at some point above the ground, it's below 32 degrees and you get it to fall as snow. Uh, So you get these dynamic snow rates where you could have one or two or maybe even up to three inches per hour of snowfall. And it really dumps a heavy snowfall in a quick period of time.
0: Hmm. And so it, we we have lightning too, then we lightning, just don't really yeah. see it very much so. no
1: you know and the the a lot of the reason for that is as we talk back to the stratiform stuff, snowfall events are usually like. Summer severe thunderstorms and summer storm events, you have the big towers going up on the on the west side, and you have sun off to the east, and then the storms come through, and you can still kind of see because of the daylight. In the wintertime, because the sun angles drop so much, and you've got more of a stratiform-type precipitation where it's a thick cloud deck, it's hard to see the lightning. If you're going to see lightning and snowfall and thunder snow, you have a better chance of actually seeing it at night because you get a better chance of scattering and reflecting the rays because of the fact that you're not having any ambient daylight behind it. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I just, that's just a cool phenomenon. To it, it is, you know, yeah. and it, when you hear thunder snow, it's, it's one of those things that's unmistakable. And, and as a meteorologist, thunderstorms in general always have me on edge because thunderstorms can do so many things, but thunder snow is the one time I can usually let my hair down what little I have of it, because I know there isn't going to be a severe component to it. Um, but having said that, if there is a significant snow event, it's the same thing as any thunderstorm. Lightning's an issue. It uh, doesn't usually strike the ground in a thundersnow event, but it's still something that we would, you know, hey, enjoy it, but stay inside and enjoy it. But you're not going to have a winter tornado
0: is what you're saying, uh, or can you?
1: Well, if you look back to December 15th of last year, we had already had 20 inches of snow in the Wasa area that had melted, and then we had a tornado outbreak. That's so, right. So, you know, right. I, I wouldn't say that's a winter tornado but it was one of those things that if you would have told me a week before, even as, a pro, as the modeling setting up, a week before that, it was like, oh, tornadoes, Wisconsin, central Wisconsin, mid-December? No. No. Mm-hmm. And then as the days were approaching, it's like, yeah, I think there could be a chance for some severe weather. Uh, but we had been melting so much snow up until that point. Usually that kind of cools the atmosphere and the modeling tracks a little farther eastward because the – All storms kind of want to live. They want to go to warm and uh, hot and humid areas. And when you're cold pooling and melting snowfall, you're getting to that point where it's going to push the things farther east. And it never really did. It stayed right in central Wisconsin. And so on the record books from last year's season of snowfall in the Wausau area, I think our total was 64 inches, which is about on average. But we melted about 20 of it right before that December 15th event. It took about 10 days. And we took and melted about 20 inches of snow total. Oh. So by the time that December 15th event hit, there's a little stone piles here and there, but the ground was clear. And it was uh, one of those things that, God willing, never happens again because uh, last I saw, I think there was eight or nine in our area, and then you still had some outside of central Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very scary thing to go through at any point. But keep in mind, the more dangerous tornadoes obviously are always at night because of the lack of see, being able to see it. Well, in central Wisconsin on December 15th, our sunset is 416. Oh, Everything's right. at night at that point. Everything
0: is at night. Good point. Good point. One question I wanted to ask you is why weather always seems to shift from – the west to the east. My youngest son lives in the Twin Cities, and he'll call me and say, get ready because it's snowing like a banshee here. And um, and I'm like, oh, great. you know, A couple hours <laughs> from now, here, here it's coming. So why is that, or am I mistaken?
1: Well, you know, that's just the modeling, uh, tracking and, and developing and coming up with a consensus on how things are evolving. So in the old days, and in the old days I'll use in this case, back when I first started in the late 90s, you only had a few models that did so many different things and usually was really, truly dependent on the forecaster to come up with a consensus. As modeling technology has gotten much better, you have more data points. More models are ingesting more things. Uh, whether you want to or not, most, uh, most smartphones are allowing data from your phone to go into computer modeling with pressures and temperature differences. So the modeling is getting so much better. But what that does is it changes the forecast a lot quicker. It used to be if we saw a change... 20 years ago, we thought we saw a change four or five days out. We let a day go by and then make that change to the forecast. Now, with how dynamic things are, and modeling running, some models are running every hour, our forecast could significantly change in a 24-hour or even less in that time frame. And one case in point is from just the last couple of years, National Weather Service started issuing snow squall warnings. Mm -hmm. Think back to the one on the north side of Wausau last year, drive-home time, 436. Quick hit of snow, poor visibility, a lot of wind, and a lot of car accidents. Mm-hmm. Modeling can't even really predict it that quickly in, in a snow squalls type situation. But that's as quick as the science can get is going into those kind of events. So when the forecast is changing, it's, this is the, the the problem we have as meteorologists. We're changing the forecast based on what we see in the science. But to the average viewer at home and listener at home is, you were wrong because your forecast didn't change fast enough to allow this to happen. Right. And and that's where that's a public perception thing and it's also the a problem with covering about nineteen counties in this area. We know from north to south in our area that we cover what's happening in the northwoods in this point of the season is so much different what's happening down south. They'll get heavy lake effects snow and it could be sunny and fifty down south. Um Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when we're changing forecasts, we're changing based on the modeling information available to us, and you're going to see changes in the forecast happening right up until the vents knocking on the doorstep because we have the modeling coming in that much more quickly these days.
0: What is lake effect snow anyway? We hear that phrase a lot, and you know, I know that it tends to snow more by no, no. the lake, but but what what is lake effect snow exactly?
1: It's uh, exactly something that buried everything from Buffalo to Orchard Park, New York <laughs> uh, just about a week yes. ago. Yes. Uh, You know, so lake effect snow is one of those things that when the machine is turned on, we call it the lake effect machine, is you have um, temperatures on the water that are much warmer than the surface temperatures up above. So what ends up happening is, even though it's hard to think of it this way, you get evaporation off of the water, and that helps to make the precipitation, the aerosols and the particles grow and snowfall. And you got to have some wind component across that warmer lake to help generate not only clouds, but also generate the snowfall. And so at this time of year, until the Great Lakes freeze over, which they haven't done a whole lot of in full capacity lately, uh, for us in northern Wisconsin, especially farther north, uh, Tomahawk can get a little lake effect here and there. You're looking for a northwest wind over Lake Superior. A faster wind is better, and you're looking for what we call delta T, the change in temperature between the water temperature and the air temperature. So if the Lake Superior temperatures right now, probably low 40s in that area, the more you get in and change the temperature for air, the more snow can be generated. 10-degree um, difference can do a little bit of snow. 20 can do a lot more. In the case of New York, what happened there, the lake temperatures were about 30 degrees warmer than the air temperature coming in over the top. And then they had almost kind of a perfect storm with the wind component, upper-level winds going west, northwest, west, northwest. And that's why they got dumped on. They had Mm -hmm. snowfall rates two to three inches per hour for days on end. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's where you had those massive snows. We see that happen. Iron Ashland and Vilas Counties in this area. Price County a little bit, depending on the trajectory, and sometimes northwestern Oneida. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. I want to take you through um, debunking things my mother says. did this (laughs) in the summer, too. All right. Uh, Here's one. Do
1: skinny people really get cold easier? Uh, It's a... Basically, it's your body and your science of the body. Um, I, I, I always say I carry my winter weight year round, so I never have to worry <laughs> about it. Uh, but I, I, I have friends I work with that are a lot skinnier than me that are hot boxes, like I, that I call mm-hmm. myself. So mm-hmm. uh, that's all about physiology in the body. Okay. Can it get so cold that your breath turns to ice? Uh, yes, um, y- you'll see that in the wintertime when we get that first kind of cold snap. We go out there with the water and throw it in the air and it instantly becomes ice. So the droplets, when you're having the steam come out of your breath, yeah, that's basically turning into ice. Now, it's happening after it leaves the body, so it's not doing any damage to your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what, in essence, is happening. Can you catch a cold from being cold? Uh, the the doctors would say it's really just a kind of depends on the, the germ and the bug. Um, I don't know if there's any more science behind it than that. Um, they, you know, The mother always said, wear your coat and stuff like that. I have a 14-year-old daughter that refuses to wear a coat to school, to and from, walks from the bus stop, and it could be 20 degrees outside, and she's yet to get sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's just how your body reacts to all the different bugs out there. Can it be too cold to snow? Not technically, no. Um, there will be a point where there's such a small chance of the little dendritic growth at like minus 40 degrees uh their dew points minus forty it's not technically too cold to snow it's just what's coming down you may not even see because the particles will be so small
0: when you see a lot of acorns in the fall, it means a cold winter is coming
1: true or false that's a that's a good one um i've never so i've heard of this phrase a lot of times, and I try to track it, and I have yet to see that what how that pans out really works well going into the spring it may mean that the, the trees are shuttering things faster because the cold may be coming quicker, but that doesn't mean that it carries into and moves into the spring. Um, one that I've always heard is six to eight weeks after the geese go flying south is your first significant snowfall. Wausau area I tracked it this year was the middle of October or middle of August. We went through September and October. We, we saw a few flurries, but we didn't have a significant snowfall. Uh, so again, it it's never going to be a hundred percent of the time. That's a right statement. But it may be like, hey, this one year it worked out. When leaves fall early, winter will be mild, true or false? I don't know if I necessarily agree with that one. Leaves can fall early for many reasons. Uh, This year a little bit and last year more so, we were going into drought-type situations. So trees are going to shed the leaves more quickly anyway because they want to retain the water and how the body of the tree works. So leaves on the outside are going to fall more quickly anyway. Um, But if they're shedding them early, they, again they may there may be a sense that there 's a, a, a fast winter coming, but again that doesn 't necessarily mean it 's going to be warmer or, or cold all right. One more thing
0: that my mom says: birds are always freaking out and way more active right before a big
1: storm <laughs> uh, I, I you know i i don 't know if there 's one hundred percent science behind that but I, I I certainly believe in that because of not only because of the activity you see. But just in the last couple of weeks, you're seeing a lot more bird activity out there right before certain events. So they'll be pretty active today, and they'll kind of go away until we get into our next system next week. Okay.
0: Well, we've got to take a break. Uh, I, I'm just enjoying this so much. Chad Franz and our guest today on Route 51, as we continue our discussion on winter weather forecasting. Coming up, we're going to put Chad on the spot and hear his personal predictions for the winter months ahead. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. All right. Well, we'd like to hear from you, too. You can join us by calling 800-780-9742. You can also email us at route51 at wpr.org. I'm Shereen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. We're back on Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward. Our guest today is WSAW-TV meteorologist Chad Franzen, continuing our program on winter meteorology. What would you like to know? You can email us at route51 at wpr.org, or you can call us at 800-780-9742 with your winter weather questions. So every year ahead of winter, we hear dire predictions about what to expect, whether it's going to be this you know, huge amount of snow or the worst sub-zero temps in history. So what's it looking like this year?
1: Yeah, you know, so the the, late, the prediction from the Farmer's Almanac, one of the more famous ones out there, uh, has been about the same prediction for about the last four years. Snowier and colder than normal Mostly based on the science that we know, we are in a La Niña at this point. National Weather Service and NOAA came out with their initial outlook from a couple months ago, updated last month, saying colder than normal and a little more snowfall than normal. What I'm looking at when we went into this upcoming season is you're going to start hearing a little bit more about triple dip La Niña, um, which means this will be the third season in a row of a La Niña being set up across the the, uh, the world. In affecting the weather in the United States. In the recent science and memory, there hasn't been a triple dip La Nina. But there are analogs that the NOAA and some other uh, companies have out there that you can kind of look at. So I started looking at what happened from our last couple of years going into a La Nina for this season. And I came up with uh, the list of the five in most recent memories of what happened during those winters and what ended up not happening. 98-99 was the same analog kind of setup as we have now. We ended up with uh, just under an average snowfall for the season. Temperatures were colder than average. 99-2000, and 2000, snowfall 15 inches below where we should have been. Temperatures were a little colder than average. 2007-2008, average snowfall. Temperatures were about average. 2010, 2011, that was a lot of snowfall toward the end of the month. Uh, The end of this, February, March, we ended up with almost 80 inches of snowfall. So above average snow and temperatures were colder than normal. So that kind of fits the bill, which is normally what people typically think of La Nina as colder than snowier than. Then in 2017 and 2018, you may remember this season, and I'll throw this out to you. In December, January, and February of that season, we had very little snowfall. We got into March. We had a lot of snowfall. Yeah. And then you think back to what happened in April. We had over 30 inches of snowfall in that part. So in that analog of 2017, 2018, yes, it was snowier than normal. But it all came pretty much in March and April. Yeah, The temperatures for that part in La Nina were actually above normal. So you asked me what my prediction is. Mm-hmm. My prediction is still going to be – until the active storm track, which is where that big first heavy snowfall sets up, my prediction until that time happens would be that we'll have temperatures pretty close to normal. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get cold snaps in January mm-hmm. or you think back to February a couple of years ago where it was bitterly cold for about three weeks. Yeah. But I think temperatures on the average will be a little below normal, and I think our snowfall will range anywhere from 5 to 10% above the average, which puts us about 70 inches or so in the Wausau area.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, and again, now those we are. are all,
1: those are all averages. Uh-huh. Um, the caveat to that is when we get that first heavy snowpack that sits in the upper Midwest, that will help determine when the jet stream comes in and sets up for those heavy snow events versus where it doesn't back in Oh nine, that heavy, uh, that storm track set up in Southern Wisconsin, Madison, Milwaukee almost ended up with a hundred inches of snow, both locations setting records in that season. We were on the north side of that. We were on the cold side of that, and we had a very, let's say, non-average snowfall season. We ended up eventually with 50 inches, but it wasn't like a great trail season for those on snowmobiles. Mm -hmm. So that's that's those things that go into kind of the forecasting. I'd say a little bit colder than average, a little more snow than average, but if that active storm track sets up south of central Wisconsin, and we may not know for another two to three weeks, but if that ends up happening – You could probably bet our snowfall will not be very great for the season ahead.
0: Hmm, Interesting. Uh, The Farmer's Almanac, you mentioned that. How do they – what goes into their forecasting? And Secret science.
1: No, there's this – it's under lock and key. Really? I've I've tried to find anything I could on it. It's their secret science formula that they do and have been doing for well over 100 years. Uh, they get a little more specific now. They go. They now have regions. They have weeks that they look at. Uh, but there, there's there's they have their science involved in it. But having said that, they're putting out a print thing about three or four months before the winter hits, and then they have to ride and live with it. And if you are betting your stuff on a farmer's almanac, whether you believe it or not, just don't. Hedge your bets on the Farmers Almanac because it is going into print before anything happens. Check whether it's a TV station, or weather service, or anything else. Don't ever place your what's going to happen on the winter on what you read in the Farmers Almanac. Not saying they're right or wrong. No, I'm just saying be, it just fair, gets old. It gets antiquated. Yeah,
0: and to be fair, they they claim that they have this eighty percent accuracy rate, and I mean, and yeah. they're doing this way ahead of time. It's yeah. just it's um it's amazing, really.
1: You know, and I think the the what. Most people see from the Farmer's Almanac is the overall what the prediction is. That one's fine. It's When they break down the region, they say this week is going to be colder than normal. It's like not even our computer modeling science is even going to give us that within a two-week period because of how quickly things change. So, you know, if you want to believe in the Farmer's Almanac, you you can, and I'm not saying don't. It's just that if you go by the week by week and what they're doing in each region, don't necessarily believe that that's going to happen because that is – that's taking a shot in the dark. It really is. Hmm, That's interesting. What about those home weather stations? Are they accurate for forecasting? Uh, you know, so you're, what, what happens with the home weather station is that is a real-time product, and so it is telling you what's going on. And then some of the fancier ones, there's a Davis, there's an Accurite, there's a Weatherflow Tempest that do offer some uh, on their apps some kind of forecasting in there of what's going to happen. The, the problem with those is you really need to have a lot of them in your area because forecasting is based on data points within an area. So if you live out, let's say, in rural Marathon County and nobody around you has one of those high-end home weather stations, when it's giving you a forecast, it's really not giving you something that could be as good as when there's more weather stations to get more data points to forecast the weather from. Mm. Um, So the more data points, the more forecasting stations and tools, the better off your forecast should become. Have you ever been really, really dead wrong about a forecast? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> what goes wrong? What can go wrong?
1: There, there's so many things that go wrong. In in the summertime, the summertime we always err on the side of caution. If there's a chance for severe weather, we're always going to take that seriously. That That is just standard MO. You're going to do that because people need to know. The last thing you want to read about and, and hear about is someone is out there playing softball or baseball, and people get hurt during a tornadic event or a severe thunderstorm event that you've talked about for three days leading up to it, and they just didn't hear it or didn't know. Mm-hmm. Or you talk about for three days leading up, and not a cloud in the sky forms. Mm-hmm. And you also hear it from that side. And, and those are that is really a limitation of what computer modeling does. Modeling does not predict thunderstorms per se. It predicts conditions favorable for them to form. And so in the summertime, when we have a busted forecast, if you will, We probably have predicted strong to severe thunderstorms, and the front comes through, and one or two happen, and then you get a 20-degree dew point difference, and it feels really nice on the other side. But people say, oh, what happened to all the severe weather? Wintertime is all about – it's not so much how much moisture is coming up with the system or available for it. It's what are the temperatures doing, and then there's a little thing behind that on the backside of low-pressure systems called dry slotting that could come in and cut the precip off real quick. So what we're looking at is how long is it? Going, how long is the precip going to be there? Will it dry slot? And is it always going to be snow? And so there are times where you know we'll put together a forecast, and and I'm the first one to go on there and say, hey, uh, this is what my forecast is. Next day, if that didn't pan out, here's what happened. Doing the best we can, we'll get it the next time. Um, I look back to the spring of 2019 when we had all that snow in February, mm-hmm. 54 inches of snow fell in February. The shortest month of the year had almost our entire season average of snowfall within it. The modeling was astounding. It said one to two inches here. It was perfect. One to two inches here. And then in the fall of 2019 forecast modeling for snow was horrible. (laughs) And so after the first couple of watching and, you know, we will also kind of look at what the weather service is doing. And so we try to stay within some consensus. You don't want to be the person saying, you know, weather service, everybody's talking about 10 to 12 inches of snow, and you want to be the person saying it's only going to be 2. Because chances are it's not going to be 2, mm-hmm. and it may not be 10 to 12, but it's going to be closer to that range. Mm-hmm. And so when we're going into wintertime, in at in, in our station, Channel 7, we have an internal discussion. We play good cop, bad cop. What's the good of this? And that's what we call First Alert Weather Day. We put that out to let people know weather is going to affect you this much more today because of this. But we play good cop, bad cop. What's the good news? Uh, The modeling's consensus. The weather service, we're close to it. That's the good news. Then we have the bad cop come in. Find something that you think could happen that would throw your forecast out the window. And then that's where we start to make some adjustments as that system moves in. So we try not... I mean, we're not throwing darts at a dartboard. I'm the worst dart player you've seen me throw. I'm terrible. (laughs) We're not throwing darts at a dartboard. We're going off of the science. And the more science and the more modeling that we have the more options we have and you need to understand what that model is trying to tell you we used to only have one or two that predicts snow now you can get anywhere from seven to eight to nine and so you get seven or eight different resolutions on the same storm system so that's where the forecaster has to come in and really kind of make sense of it and that's one of the challenges that we have what's it like being a tv forecaster what I mean, what is the job like it's good and bad. Well, my favorite, my favorite line, and everybody that's ever been around, anybody that's done this kind of work, is what's it like to be paid to be wrong? <laughs> Not necessarily all the time. I, I hear sometimes 51% of the time, more than half the time, 99% of the time. What's it like to be paid to be wrong? And I, and I say this in jest because I usually try to get people to get outside of that box. And my, my response is every time is, well – We weren't good enough to be politicians, and we weren't good enough to be attorneys, so we became weather people as paid liars. And they stop for a second. And I'm not not pointing fingers, and I'm not trying to – I'm not saying that attorneys, politicians are liars or anything like that. But I I get those people to stop and look outside that box for that one split second. And when I see the smile, I know I've gotten them. Mm -hmm. I said, we do the best we can with the science that's involved. And then we say, what did we get wrong? And if they can give me a specific or what happened – I will tell them exactly what happened, or I will encourage them next time to make sure that we are covering a huge area. Make sure you're watching specifically for your area and not hearing the general overall minutiae of what you think you're hearing. Keep in mind, we're trying to convey weather in three minutes. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is happening north-south a lot different. So we try to break it down the best we can, and that's why we always are, hey, come online, check us out online, stuff like that, because we can be a little more detailed in online stuff. But it's always – you're always paid to be wrong. It's like I wish it was that way.
0: And I think about how many times I've seen you or the other guys outside shivering, mm-hmm. doing the forecast oh, yeah. from outside. What that – I mean what does that feel like? How, how much do you like that?
1: Well, you know, being on the elements is one thing. And, and, and I, I – I, the, the old person in me is like, well, I, I, I don't understand it, but I do because – in, in the wintertime, we don 't want people out traveling, right so that 's why we 're out there freezing and and we We take one of our vehicles, we have a driver a four wheel drive car, and we have a reporter or a weather person driving next to him and we 're driving the roads not to go drive the roads and say, "Oh well, this isn't a big deal we 're driving the roads to let people really see real time what is going on and that how bad it really has gotten, and that you know when we encourage people to stay home it 's not because we're just trying to get ratings or anything like that mm-hmm. we're encouraging people to stay home. So we don't have a, a million accents. It always seems like when we go into the winter season, those first couple of snows and we haven't had a big snowfall in Wausau yet. The highest one we've had was just about three inches, mm-hmm. but it's like everybody forgot how to drive over the summertime when it comes to winter types of precipitation. And so when we're driving out there, it's like, please be careful. Please headlight beams on low. Um, take your time, allow for extra time. And pack your car. So in case you do get stuck, you can get out. And that's where it's always the, the hardest thing this time of year is reminding people to slow it down. No cruise control when there's ice on the road. Right. And, and take your time. And have patience. Snowplow drivers, God love them. They do a great job. Mm-hmm. Give them their distance. Stay back. And especially this time of year, um, there was just uh, an accident with the state trooper. Uh, I think it was Kenosha or Fond du Lac just about a week ago. Icy conditions. When it's icy out and you've got traffic around you, or even if you don't, keep in mind the state laws, you know, you have to pass. You have to go around. If you're on a four-lane road, you have to get in that other lane. So for whatever's not happening in the right lane, you've got to be outside of that. Most of the time, this time of year, it's probably going to have a state trooper attached to it, whether it's a car broken down or whatever it is. You have to be able to accommodate for bad road conditions, navigating into a lane of traffic and making sure that that trooper or whomever's out there is safe. And that's where I really encourage people to slow it down and take your time. Um, Winter driving is no fun. I don't think many people enjoy it. It's a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's Wisconsin. And if you look back, we had some snow in Wausau in October, wasn't much. And that could be six months of snowfall for the season.
0: Well, you obviously love your job, and it's just been a, a joy to have you in the studio. Thank you it's so much. You're listening to Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward extending a sincere thanks to our guest, WSAW-TV meteorologist Chad Franzen. Our producers are Joy Ratchkramer and Kate Spranger. Joy is our on-air producer today. Our executive producer is Rick Ryer. WPR is listener-supported. Your gift makes Wisconsin Public Radio possible. Consider giving today at WPR.org or 888-202-2552. Thanks to John Altenberg for the Route 51 theme. You can hear the archive of today's program and previous programs at WPR.org Route 51. We'll be back next week, but until then, we're heading out of town. Thanks for listening.